Hi, my name is Aaron Ra, and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent, and this is episode 142. I'm your host, Pontus Böckmann, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Jelena Levin. Uh, hey, son, hey, son. Well... Uh, I've forgotten. Ah, всем привет! Ah, that's it, that's it, okay. <laughs> I, I've forgotten because I just had the most exciting interview, but anyway. Yeah, and I haven't heard that yet, but it's going to be very, very interesting to hear. So, please, let's cut to the chase. What, what, who did you interview and why? I have interviewed, all by myself, Aaron Ra, um, who is a, a um, well, science skeptic, atheist activist from America. Um, he's got his own channel, YouTube channel. He's got his own podcast, uh, Ramen Podcast. He's written a, a book. He's done several talks all across the world. We've met him at QED. Yeah, he's be he's been around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's got... Yeah, I've, we just chatted about the state of affairs, I guess, in the world. Uh -huh, okay. <laughs> at some point, it gets a little Nothing bit... less, yeah. Yeah, at some point it gets a bit doom and gloom, but quite often that's how you find yourself, you know. Yeah, you, you sound quite chipper anyway. You, you read another paper or another report and then you go, oh, God. Yeah. But yeah, I, I hope you enjoy it. I hope all the listen our listeners will enjoy it. I certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> so You're all chums, aren't you? We're friends, yes. Yeah. Um, I've known him since 2014, I want to say. Um, that's when I met him at the QED first time. Uh -huh. And then, and then Brad uh, helped him. My husband helped him organize his uh, great tour of Europe yeah. when he was uh, going around um, various skeptic organizations. And I believe actually you've organized him to speak in Sweden as well. Yes, uh, I uh, contacted my friends in Stockholm to uh, to arrange, and they put up a special skeptics in the pub for him as well there. So yeah, mm. we did that. And uh, I will not be speaking out of term if I say that if anybody wants to organize an event with Aaron, then he'll be happy to hear from you guys um, and girls. He's got the, the contact details information on his website, which is aaronara.com. So you can get in touch or via Facebook. Yeah, He's not as active on Twitter, but uh, yeah, he's got various ways and he's normally very responsive. Yeah. Um, he's happy to talk to groups or, or do presentations etc so um so let's uh yeah without further ado yeah let's hear what he had to say right so today we have with us or i should say i have with us because i will be the only person interviewing that person which i am very very uh, happy about uh, Aaron Ra, who is an atheist activist, former president of the Atheist Alliance of America and the host of the Ramen podcast. 
He's also the current regional director of American Atheists, and he is the creator and founder of Philogeny Explorer. Aaron, welcome to the show. Yay! <laughs> Happy to be here. Um, so you're actually at the moment in London, and um, I My know... My favorite city. Yes, I love it too. It's, it's the most incredible multicultural and exciting city. You've been traveling around Europe for a while now. I know you've had some really big tours where you travel, you know, 10, 20 European countries at a time, and you visited various conferences. And this time around, you came to London to a conference that's nothing to do with uh, atheism, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Please tell us <laughs> a little bit about it and also the yeah, name, because I know you mentioned it to me before, and I just... I was I was very excited to do this one because it wasn't a a secularist or humanist or skeptics or atheist or it, it, it was a straight up science conference and I was invited to speak to unveil or release or uh, promote my uh, phylogeny explorer project uh, to the tetrapod zoology conference at the University of London Union. I love that name tetrapod zoology conference okay yeah and it was it was great fun uh, I mean I I, I I felt at home with a lot of the uh, the other taxonomists and such and there's a, a number of paleo artists and zoologists and everything and and I was having a bit of a nerdgasm and the other thing that's amusing is how many other people there look kind of like me so if we get pictures with all the other scientists and everybody says well this looks like a heavy metal band picture <laughs> <laughs> well there you go do you want to just quickly tell us um, about the, your Philogen Explorer project, which I know you're really, like you said, excited about, and it's a failing new development? Uh, well, thank you. Uh, we've been working on it for the last several years. Uh, it is an attempt to render the entire phylogenetic tree of life as a navigable online encyclopedia of biodiversity, past and present. So it's it's a not just a catalog of all of the current biomass, but also of, of, of paleofauna. And not just paleofauna. I mean, it's the entire tree. So while we don't have everything filled out yet, and of course we won't, this is a this is a project that is going to be ongoing and never completed, you know, forever. But we do have a number of actual scientists that are on the project now. We built the biggest continuous high detail cladogram ever constructed. It can only be rendered virtually. The only way to to see it in all of its dimension is uh, is online because imagine a tumbleweed mm. you know the tree of life is more like a tumbleweed than it is a tree so i mean it goes off in every direction at once and there's you know there's a de definite three-dimensional thing going on and you really need you really need a, a virtual space to be able to follow it mm. that sounds incredible um and i know you have mentioned to me uh, off the record before that um uh, whilst at the conference, you got some people who came up to you and they, and they offered their services as, as illustrators and to, to contribute to your project. What kind of uh, expertise you're looking for? If you know, we can maybe give a shout out to people who want to be part of the project as well. Well, 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 we uh, we have been using a number of, uh, of, of literally a couple hundred data entry people, and some of them have been enormously prolific. I mean, like like one guy himself loaded 1,440 dinosaur species on top of 7,000 paleo reptiles that he loaded all by himself, hmm. you know, in the course of a month or two. And at this moment, what we have is, a, a friend of mine described it eloquently as a, a skyscraper of a treehouse, but it's all full of empty rooms. And now the trick is to fill the rooms. We've, we've got the biggest cladogram that's ever been constructed, period. 
But every one of these, every one of these nodes, every one of these clades has a more info box, and most of those boxes are empty. Mm-hmm. And so we want people uh, with their with expertise in these various areas to come in and uh, and produce that data. Like for example, I was just speaking this last weekend with Mark Witten, who is the foremost authority on pterosaurs, so, and he's a paleo artist. On top of that, so. I was talking to him about uh, having him take over the, the, the pterosaur area and just fill in not just the end species, but also what is it? The, the pterosaurs, for example, are divided into two parent clades, remphorhynchoids and pterodactyloids, and it's the parent clades that I actually want some information about. I want, I want the, the scientists who work in these fields to be able to explain what is the difference between a remphorhynchoid or a pterodactyloid. You know, what are the criteria? How do we know? What are the, what is the earliest fossil evidence of these things and any other peculiars you might want to throw in which only the academic experts can mm. do now others that have been approached i mean like there's uh daryl domning uh, who is the the uh, expert in paleo he knows the entire cladogram for serenians and i want to i want to have him just take that over and then uh, we we spoke with uh, mark um, o'shea who's been on 40 different documentary TV shows about science, about herpetology. Mm. And so he's the snake guy, not just our snake guy. He's the world's snake guy. And uh, he was very excited to join onto the team. And so he's going to be filling in snakes. And I remember filling in myself. I was filling out the cladogram. I, I spent two or three days working just on colubrid snakes. And I put in thousands of species of colubrids. And so for him to come in and put in the more info boxes on those... You could you could spend your life doing that, mm. and that's just with the one area. That's just with that's, that's not even just snakes. That's just colubrid snakes. Which... Yeah, yeah, no, it's in, it's incredibly vast, and it'll this project will go on for like probably decades, decades, and maybe centuries actually. <laughs> but um, apart from um, being in London and um, you know taking part in this great conference. You are going to go to Manchester. At, in fact, it's happening in the next day. You're going to be going to Manchester to attend yet another conference, if I'm not mistaken. One, yeah. One more conference. Well, it's not. Uh, this one's not a conference. This is a, a lecture. A lecture. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. So this is me giving a lecture to the University of Manchester tomorrow. Yeah. And we're going to be covering the same same thing we were just talking about. And yeah. then. Uh, I am going to attend QED in Manchester. I'm not speaking at QED, but QED is a a wonderful conference and I like being there. And we have promoted the hell out of the QED in the past few uh, months. So You've done a good job because they're sold out. They are. And they they sell out actually every year. And um, they they really are a brilliant conference. Um, You have attended QED before as a speaker, I remember. Um, and um, it's it's always uh, very informative, very exciting. There'll be a fringe event you're taking part of, though, in QED, aren't you? Are you talking about your project there? No, I'm. Uh, the QED is promoting or was doing advertising right. for the the lecture at the University of Manchester. Okay, cool. Well, so um, I'm sorry to say, like I said, the QED is sold out, but. Um, Aaron is going to be there, so guys, sorry if you didn't get your tickets. <laughs> You're missing out. You're missing out on the drink with Aaron. So I don't know how much you've been following the European development um, in terms of the uh, anti-intellectualism and the uh, sort of international thinking, etc., and all these. You have um, that in Europe too. I know we do, and um, because you obviously come from and based in Texas, um, do you see the stark differences between the two uh, sort of uh, the two worlds? I would I want to call them, and what would you say the main 
the main differences are with the struggling, you know, the struggles with, with in terms of the anti-intellectualism, etc. I'm a bit confused and as to how this is happening in the United States and Australia and Europe all at the same time. I'm. Have you got like, like maybe um, like an idea or sort of have you thought about it? What could cause <coughs> this kind of boom, almost like an explosion? I feel like. I mean, I at some point I thought maybe. People got too pissed off, too disappointed in existing structures and systems and government and whatever else. And they just went completely off the hook and went all the way to the fringes of whatever. You know, the, the phrase you sometimes hear is people are tired of experts. I mean, what was, <laughs> how did it happen? <laughs> and, and this kind of rhetoric. And, and I can see how, um, some people are very, um, impatient and they want science to answer certain questions but science never claimed to know everything so well the only things that that we do know we know from science so i often said as a matter of fact i think the first quotable line anybody took from me was what i said uh, that science doesn't know everything but religion doesn't know anything That's and it's literally true because religion makes a lot of assertions but there's nothing you can actually verify to be correct and with science we do have that and while we don't know everything, everything that we know is scientific. So it's like when Tim Minchin said, that "There's a, you know, what do you know what they call uh, um, alternative medicine that's been shown to work?" Yeah, you call it medicine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love, I love that saying. Yes, no, it's it's uh, it's incredible to watch, and well, it's kind of scary in a at the same time. I'm not sure if you were were aware, but there was a uh, flat Earth convention in, happening in UK a couple of months ago. In April of 2018, <laughs> please note, I have never heard of such an event occurring in Europe ever before, but um, it's been surreal to see. And uh, th- I've, I've read a couple of reports back, you know, from that. We we have this going on in the United States, yeah. obviously, and, uh, and I can tell you some of what this is about. We have uh, religion in a general state of decline in every state. And not just in the United States. It's, it's in a state of decline across the world. The mm. Saudi kingdoms are complaining that even though they have a death penalty for against atheism, they have a rise of atheists. So religion is in decline and atheism is on the rise. Now, conversely, at the same time that religion in general is in a state of decline, religious extremism, being creationism and flat earth belief, because flat earth is a full-on religious belief, uh, everybody that holds to a flat earth brags that they, they do so because science can't explain a flat earth and therefore they think that proves God, according to the logical fallacy of false dichotomy and, you know, and, and a couple of others actually. But the reason, how, how is it that, that you can have religious extremism on the rise and religion in decline at the same time? Well, obviously what's happening is, is there's a polarization of the population and in the United States is roughly halfway. So you have people that are walking away from religion entirely, which is fine. We never needed it. It never did us any good. But then we have people who are walking away from science entirely. So they're becoming the anti-vaxxers and the flat earthers and the geocentrists and and and, and the the all of the uh, the paranoid conspiracy theory thinking, mm-hmm. all of that is psychologically connected to the same parts of the brain. So all of that woo thinking, the 9-11 truthers and all of that, they're all in that same category. So we have the rational versus the irrational. And there is a division in the population that, as I said, that's roughly halfway, roughly in the middle 
uh, in the United States, and I don't know how it, how it is in anywhere else. I think we we're struggling with the same, apart from the the religious bit, because I think Europe mostly over over that. Well, a lot <laughs> we of people, so we so over religion. A lot of people will say that that that, uh, that it's an unfair uh, estimate to, to call them rational versus irrational, mm-hmm. but. Flat earthers, I've seen, just like with creationists, I've seen them presented with the, the proof that they're wrong, and they'll make certain key admissions, you have to pay attention to the way they phrase it, where they're making an expression that they know that what they believe is not really true, but they're going to believe it anyway, because it's all about make-believe. It's all about if you can convince yourself, then it doesn't matter if it's true or not, because you're convinced that it's true. And now you can pretend that you have the ear of the most powerful being in the universe who can make two plus two equal five if that need be. How do you combat something like this? I don't... Because I I know that in your videos and in your activism, your weapon are facts. Yeah. Yeah, there is there is what uh, what we what we can prove to be true, and, and the the thing that I do is like a lot of scientists will uh, they'll dismiss the, they say you don't even need to t- talk to creationists and flat earthers and things. Well, I don't mean give them credence. I don't mean give them a format like for an equal debate or anything. But you do have to acknowledge that you know you, the scientists also get together and say we have all the facts, we have all the the peer reviewed journals, we have our whole. Uh, all of our venues and everything that show that we are correct. I'm like, yes, you have all of that that shows that you're correct, but the common man doesn't read peer-reviewed journals. No, they don't know how to. The common man is under the influence of legislators and litigators, and that's what we're dealing with. So you've got scientists thinking we have all the facts and we have everything, but then you have people who are making law and policy, and that's how the creationists and the woo thinkers are taking over. And the scientists aren't even looking at how they're being routed mm. that way. Mm. Do you want to quickly mention uh, your struggle with the Board of Education in, in America and your, I, was, I want to say, uphill battle <laughs> and what's going on there? It, it, it is an uphill battle. Uh, it, the, the, the Board of Education in Texas uh, controls the, te- the textbooks for the rest of the country to a large degree. And they are committed to teaching certain religious ideas. They cannot or they refuse to ever acknowledge anthropogenic climate change because that would imply, I don't know, there's some, oh, I remember what it was. It had nothing to do with religion. That was because the Republican Party is beholden to the fossil fuel industry. And so that's why they can't ever acknowledge that the fossil fuel industry is the primary cause of anthropogenic climate change. So they have to knowingly lie to their students in order to protect their profits. And then other things that they have to teach is American exceptionalism, which is a religious idea that God ordained the United States to be the way that it is. And so we can't have had anything that was potentially embarrassing in our past. Like the United States can't have endorsed slavery, for example. So that just gets written out of the history books. Wow. Not even kidding. And then they change, like like one of the great things to be proud of about the United States was that it was the first ever secular government. It was the first government that didn't, in its constitution, you know, credit God and the Trinity and all like that. Like you know, the, the, like like France's uh, or, or a lot of other countries did. I mean, this country, the United Kingdom, is 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 
integrated in that the queen is also the head of the church and so forth. Ireland, uh, every school, almost every school is Catholic. You know, again, the, the church and state are completely integrated there, yet they've become more secular than we somehow. We had the first secular government, and that is something to be proud of because a lot of other countries followed suit. They realized that the only way you can have freedom of religion is if you have freedom from religion. And what that means is that the state can't endorse any one religion over any other. If Because once the state declares that this is the state religion, every other religion becomes subservient second class. And you, you can't have freedom of religion that way. Everybody everybody now has to bow down to you know the, the, the god of the president or the queen or whatever, regardless. And that's not freedom of religion. Forcing forcing Jewish people to pray to a Hindu god because you happen to be in a Hindu country, that's not freedom of religion. But the United States common people reacted uh, heavily to that because when the United States was founded, it was founded by a bunch of aristocrats who were highly educated, some of the most educated people that have ever existed. And because they're rich land barons with nothing to do but read, right? Uh, and then, but the common people didn't have that problem, and they they uh, they created a number of uh, religious revivals, waves of religious revivals, where they were taught to believe all kinds of ridiculous nonsense, be the most superstitious people they possibly could be, so that for the first half dozen or so of our presidents, not one of them was a Trinitarian Christian. Mm. But then eventually, you have people that have to declare. Their, their allegiance with Trinitarian Christians until we get finally to the point where you can't not be. And then we end up with somebody like Trump, who's the least, the, the least religious. I mean, the guy broke every commandment and is bragging about it, but is still being embraced by... By the Christians. That's what I... Yeah. Yeah. I, I really cannot... By the ultimate him. hypocrites who, who, see, who, who imagine that he uh, is God's tool. But I think they're the... partially right. He's a tool, but... Yeah. <laughs> I think the Christians in America kind of believe that they they have figured out the best way to live, but it's clear that, that it causes a lot of suffering. And it also, I mean, we don't have to go far. Um, I've, I know personally people in America who um, whose families fell apart and who lost their jobs and um, the, the, because they all proclaimed that they no longer believe in God and that they walked away. And, you know, how how is that? Even possible in twenty first century, but um, yeah, and you and I both, you and I both know different examples of that. I yeah. mean, of somebody that, that can you imagine just the way you're being ostracized because you realize, hey, I can, I can prove that this statement is wrong or that this statement is correct. I can prove that, mm-hmm. and it's not a matter of faith. Well, now I'm being ostracized from my community and my family and my friends. Yeah, it's 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 tough. I like it. It was quite a revelation for for me when I first uh, discovered that it's still going on in America. Because here it's much easier. Nobody really cares what you believe, you know, as long as you're not a dick to to your, you know, uh, to people around you. Religion in the United States, I think, uh, is worse than regular tribalism. It's a Manchester United kind of thing. I mean, people in the United States wear their religion like a sports jersey. You, you, uh, you, you uh, cheer on that team. You have all the artifacts, all the posters, all your t-shirts, all your jewelry, all like that is dedicated to the Dallas Cowboys. Right. And then, and that's, that's who you root for. And if somebody else is coming to root for another team, well, then they're your opposition. 
And if somebody says, well, I don't like football and there, there you get atheists, right? I'm not, I don't know any team. I don't care. Then they're a problem because they're not, they're not reinforcing, they're not reinforcing your weird practice about your worship of that stupid football team. Mm. So let's just go back to something you've mentioned earlier, the climate change. Arguably the most important topic that we and people should be should, should be thinking about right now. There's no more time left, I, I believe. And the fact that the USA pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord didn't help the matters. I still think I'm trying to stay positive. It's getting harder and harder by the day. I, I still think that there's uh, even though USA is out of the uh, Paris Agreement, um, the individual states are still doing what they can to be green and to to move towards the, the renewable energy and sustainability. What are your thoughts? I mean, are you are you optimistic about how it's all going to go down? Because um, I know there have been a report printed re- very recently that didn't really sound that great. Yeah. When Reagan was going out and they were doing the election after Reagan, because Reagan had two terms and so they now, now need to elect someone else. I couldn't understand at that time when George H.W. Bush was, was running for president. Why was climate change not, not just not a priority? It wasn't a topic to be mentioned. That was, that was 1988. I'm complaining. Why isn't, why isn't climate change? Why isn't, why isn't the environment a central point? That's because we are owned by our, by the fossil fuel industry. The United States, much as I wish that I could be, the blindly patriotic American citizen that I was once as a lad, I realized that the way that the United States became the richest country in the world is because we were America's, we were the world's drug dealer. First, we got everyone, everyone in the world hooked on cigarettes. And that's how we got rich. And then we started marketing oil. And we, we could have gone to electric cars. There were electric cars a hundred years ago. Yeah, wasn't there a documentary, uh, Who Killed Electric Car? It was the fossil fuel industry, because yeah. you, you, there was ways of, of, of using fossil fuels that, that you, know, you needed uh, scientific advances in technology in order to improve batteries and electric power and electric motors and everything. But there were ways to bypass that with quick and easy solutions sure. with, with internal combustion engines, and that's exactly what they did. Mm. But now we've run in a single century. We have run out all this fuel that we've had. And it's not just that we're running out of the fuel. I mean, let's just say we're not running out of fuel. Let's say we have an endless supply of it. Yeah. Would it matter? Because the way that we got our atmosphere in the first place was by tiny little microbes exuding oxygen as a byproduct of their chemical processes, their bioprocesses. And we have outstripped the fastest that they, that any other organism could possibly do things in the, in the industrial levels of, of pollutants that we're pouring into the atmosphere from millions and millions of automobiles and jets and industrial factories and uh, heat islands and plastic, uh, continent-sized islands of plastic trash in the ocean. And then, to make everything worse, we're also cutting down all of the trees so that we can produce... We can farm out methane-producing cattle so that we add to the, you know, it becomes a positive feedback loop so that it gets even worse. And to make it even worse, uh, China has fleets of fishing boats that have depleted their own waters completely and are now 
outfishing every other nation by five times as much, going to the waters of other nations to take all of the fish that exist in the world and farm them all out. Is there, a, is there like a silver lining in any of it? <laughs> Do, in your opinion, is it too late or can we still save? Uh, I, I'm going to have to... Those are two questions. Okay. Is there Please. a silver lining and is it too late? Is it too late? No. But there's no silver lining either. Because the only thing we can do with an exponentially growing population is that it, we would have to curb our population growth. Mm. We would have to do literally everything opposite of what the American Republican Party has been doing for the last 20 years. Every policy they have, we need to do the opposite of that in order to make a dent in this. So we need to be promoting planned parenthood. We need to be teaching sex education. We need to be limiting the amount of th that we reproduce. And we need to be improving the education of the people that are produced. And rather than having every teenager be pregnant because they weren't trained in anything and weren't allowed to have any contraceptives or anything like that so that we end up with a, a quarter or a third of our population being under the poverty line and thus also not educated. So we have a positive feedback loop again where all they do is continue to reproduce and nobody understands how anything works and so it just continuously get worse. If we're going to have 8 billion people on the planet, we have to be extremely efficient in how we produce food and how we do our housing and everything. And we are not efficient. We are grossly, inexcusably mm. negligent. And look at our president. This is an example of inexcusable negligence. This is unfortunately the way that people are. So humanity will not go extinct. But Trump and everyone like him will be. And there will be a handful of people who hopefully under, are, are the people who understand how things work and can teach each other in how things work. And they may have to live underground for a while. <laughs> but I tell you, if it's not those people who survive, mm. well, we're, we're done. Mm. If, it's, if, if, the, if the Trump-style people survive, that we're, we're our, our species is still going to go out. Yeah. So you, you're doing an incredible amount of educational work. And you're doing your bit in trying to, <laughs> to to teach people how things work. I mean, there's so many people still out there who think that evolution is not true. And uh, yeah, in your travels and in your presentation and, and your work with people, what feedback do you get? Do you see that you, your your work and your influence changes people's minds? And uh, I know that you've talked to a lot, well, I'm assuming you talk to a lot of uh, Christians, fundamental Christians, etc. Mm -hmm. um, do, do you see that the, there's, there's a real, you know, the, the difference being made? And, and the... I have to say on that, yes. Uh, I've gotten uh, so many emails and, and uh, private messages and so forth and, and just people coming up to me to talk to me that, said, that say that, that something I said awoke that spark or cracked the armor Uh, or you know, just got them thinking one way or another. And then if it, one guy, this was a good one. I was in a debate with this guy on ChristianForums.com, and he admitted to me a year afterward. He admitted that I changed his mind during the debate. Ha! Huh, but he didn't admit it at the time. He couldn't. Ah, oh, interesting. Okay. He, he kept arguing. Yeah. For, you know, but I, I don't. I don't know what the mindset on is on that. Yeah. 
you know, but but that it doesn't matter. I've I've known when you have a deep seated belief, it's not something you can walk away from because people people connect their identities to what they believe, which is a strange thing for me. Why would the thing that you believe also be your identity? It's like in in the United States, especially in Texas, I've heard Republicans give explanations about how they're born into the Republican Party and therefore they owe the Republican Party uh, some loyalty. That doesn't happen with any other party. Mm. And I'm not just saying the one other party like the Democratic Party. I mean, there's lots of other parties. There's just no other party like the Republican Party. The Republican parties think you're born into it. It's just like a religion, like an ethnicity, like an like like a national. Uh, it's mm. it is their religion, their nationality, their ethnicity, all of that. That's part of their identity. Their and identity. They can't walk That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I will vote for another candidate from another party on a different policy if it makes sense. But Republicans lack the ability to do that somehow. It it is like you said an emotional. Well, because it's an identity thing, it's a very emotional thing. That's why people. And it shouldn't so, be. I mean. I was raised by a Mormon family, but I never mm. identified as Mormon myself. And I was baptized Mormon. They had me on the books as Mormon, but I never considered myself Mormon because I thought, how do I know I'm Mormon? Because how do I know that I believe everything that is required for a Mormon to believe? In order to be a Mormon, you have to believe all these things. I don't know what all these things are. And neither do I know about any other religion. So even if I were to believe some of these things that Mormons believe, how do I know that I... That if I, if I were to study other religions in the rest of the world, how do I know that one of those other religions might align with me better than Mormons do? So it seemed to me that you can't really identify what religion you are until you studied them. And you know, if I study Mormonism and I realize, okay, I don't believe this or that, maybe I believe all the rest of it, but I don't believe these two things, okay, maybe that I'll just, I'm not a Mormon, I can't, you know, so I st- I'm still in the no religion category, slide that one aside, let me go try the Sikhs. Or the or the bhakti or whatever, and, and try different. But but you know it's funny. I seem to be the only person that ever thought that. Everybody else is my the one true religion is whatever religion my parents were when I was born. Yeah, but that doesn't make any sense, does it? Just because your parents had a religion, mm. that how is that your identity? Yeah, I I believe this brand of absolute nonsense. Yeah. So that's my no. no. And it's like it's like if if be if being born Democrat is not your identity, if, if being born, you know, a, a a citizen of the state of Nevada or whatever is not part of your identity, I mean, you because you can move to another state, you can decide on different policies, you can, you know, why why does nobody else think of this? It this is perplexes me. Well, what, so I'm thinking from the perspective of somebody who finds solace and uh, it's like a, an emotional crutch in, in many ways, the religion. And when we talk about science and, and going away from this and using critical thinking and logic to um, experience the world and think about the world, it's not as soft and fluffy and cozy and doesn't really make you feel as good, I guess. How can we make science feel good? We need to make it more fluffy. <laughs> well, uh, there, there's a word that the religious use, uh, charismatic. Yeah. Now, and they'll have a, a number of their, their ministers uh, just trying to charm people. Now, they're charming them with nonsense that they just pulled out of their ass. But there are people that can do this for science, too. I mean, Carl Sagan was somebody that just really hit yeah. me. 
I mean, I was raised to to respect only macho men, you know, and Carl Sagan was not a macho guy. And the guy talked like Kermit the Frog. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seriously, just close your eyes and listen to him. That's Kermit the Frog. (laughs) But the the things that that he was saying were things that I could verify, things I could show to be true. So it's completely different than when you go into church and it doesn't matter what bullshit story they're selling in that church and then you go to the next synagogue and then you go to the mosque next door and they're all selling different bullshit stories and they're all equally empty and nobody can say that show that there's any truth to any of it but then you go to atheism and then they say yeah and here's how to know for sure that this is right or this is how to correct it if it's not mm-hmm. which is another thing religions can't do no they, you know how do you imp- mecha- how do you improve mechanism. religion if you make any change in a religious uh, ideology, if you if you say, okay, well, the, what the, what the religious leader is teaching me is not, I don't think, quite right, and so you try to make any change at all, it's going to be an arbitrary change that you've just made up because for you know for speculation, you're just making up your own answers, and it's also going to be judged by the church as being heresy or apostasy, which is even worse, right? So both of those are crimes, but science doesn't have that. The only way to be rich and famous as a scientist. Is to over is to uh, overturn the status quo, and prove the other side is wrong, and then the other side has come. Instead of hanging you up or burning you alive, they congratulate you and give you a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, well, th- on this point, be, uh, in a somewhat infamous uh, debate between Bill Nye and Ken Ham, Ken Ham outright said that that um, there is nothing that uh, Bill Nye can say to him to change his mind on his uh, position. You know, and believe in God. Yeah. And if that's your if if that's your starting point, I don't think there is anything anybody can do. That's what I find deliberately dishonest about Ken Ham. He's explained it many times. Mm. What we all recognize as confirmation bias. He gives the exact definition of what confirmation bias is, but he calls it God glasses. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. You just put on I your God glasses, and then yeah. you can dismiss all the evidence that is against you, and just. Assume that the Bible is right because the Bible is right. And then find whatever rationalization you can to support the Bible being right. And he said at one point that if you want to believe in salvation, which is the second half of the Bible, you have to believe in creation, which is the first half of the Bible. So you have to make believe. And there it is. Creationism and religion in general is not about understanding anything. It's literally make believe. It's wishing upon a star that you have magic powers and a magic imaginary friend that can save you from anything. Gosh. I, yeah. I mean, not, 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 not believing in God and, and being in awe of science is such a great position to be in. So I really, yeah. But I also have religious relatives and I can see how they perceive their lives. So. And the funny thing about faith is if you watched everybody in the world die in some pointless way that went completely against every religion's prophecies of what was going to happen, right? Just, I mean, just none of it comes true. Everybody ends up, so you are the last religious person there is, right? All of humanity's crush. I mean, it, all of the civilization goes on. All, every prophecy has failed. You will still somehow declare that to be that your faith is sound and that that's proof of God, even though you're the last damn believer there is. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time, Aaron. Um, keep doing what you do. 
it's great that you are there, you know, educating the public um, in such an accessible ways. And I would encourage everybody to look Aaron up on YouTube because you've got your own YouTube channel. And um, you do the Ramen podcast as well on YouTube. I, I got to tell people, I've been doing this full time. Yeah. Uh, for the last four years or so. And uh, patreon.com forward slash A-R-O-N-R-A. If you like what I do at all, please consider uh, being a supporter. I I make six videos a month. If you want to put in a dollar per video, that's $6 a month. And that enables me to do the podcast. It enables me to do the systematic classification of life video series, the the tutorial uh, Mm. science series that we do for the uh, um, uh, living science lessons. We, 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 We actually teach science lessons intended for middle school and high school kids that uh, are unapologetically inclusive of concepts like deep time and evolution and other things that public schools in the United States teach. Yeah. Do you want to plug your book as well? And my book is uh, foundational falsehoods of creationism. And uh, it's about three years old. I think it has been doing very well on Amazon uh, and it's it's being rated highly, right, high, or very highly. And uh, it's about time for me to do another book. It's just, I put my soul into that one. Oh, wait, I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much again, Aaron. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. So that's, that's been a, a great interview. I... Hope you everybody enjoyed it. And uh, do we have anything extra to promote, Pontus? Well, apart from the apart from the fact that QED is this weekend, but I think this episode will be too late for QED. Yeah, it will be. It will be. I'm actually in the middle of packing, so I'll be leaving uh, tomorrow morning. And uh, QED will be fun, but you will hear all about that in the next episode instead. So this will be before that, um, unless of course you actually at QED and you will see us live. And then you will know all the things that we usually cut out. <laughs> all the swearing all. and all the ums and ums. They are all very exciting. Ums and ums with umlauts. That, you know, this is the international European podcast. So there's a lot of umlauts. Of course. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. that's great. Uh, so I, I, I'm very excited about QD. But as, as I said, that's the next episode. I'm also excited actually to listen to this uh, episode because, uh, <laughs> you know, breaking the fourth wall here, I still haven't heard the interview, but I will be uh, editing it. So uh, I'm sure it was great. I know that Aaron Ra is e- extremely well known, mostly in the atheist movement, but also in the skeptics movement. He's been around for a long time and he has influenced a lot of people. And he's more and more moving towards the science education field um, and and sort of towards the scientific side of things rather than... Because atheism is great and whatever, but um, educating people and uh, making certain things accessible for them is most, most important. Yeah. I, I, yes, I, I do believe so. And uh, so, uh, yeah. So, so um, just to remind everybody, if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to, if you want to promote your organization, or you've got an event coming up, or you're aware of some crazy news story in Europe uh, that's related to skepticism, maybe anti-skepticism. Anyway, <laughs> let us know. You can get in touch with us by writing to us. Our email address is info at theesp.eu. Um, You can also find us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore EU. Of course, we are also on Facebook. Like us on there, follow our news feed, and you can get in touch via direct messaging or go on our website, and it's uh, theesp.eu. And you can complete the contact form on there.
Yeah. And this is also where you can find the events in Europe page where we, you can see all the events going on every week, even this week, which is QED week. There's a lot of other things happening all throughout Europe. Go there, look at it, be inspired or attend if, if you if you can. I have something to say, actually. I've forgotten Ooh. to mention it. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Uh, last Wednesday, I finally made it to Greenwich Skeptics in the Pub. Ooh. Woohoo! Go me! <laughs> and they had a very interesting speaker on who was talking about misconceptions of hypnosis. Mm-hmm. And ev- literally everything we know about hypnosis is wrong. I know nothing well, of we hypnosis. Don't, we, you know, people <laughs> normally think about it. When they think about hypnosis, they think about manipulation, the watch... Uh, the dreamlike state, none of it is wrong. None of it is right. With, these are all misconceptions. Ooh, and I what, I, what I have, and what I have realized by the end of it, that Brad is very good at hypnosis. Really? Anyway, yeah. We should it's have, n- we should let him demonstrate not, that somehow, sometime. Well, I, he actually doesn't know it yet. I, I'm going to tell him because I, I, I was going to, I was going to mention it to him and uh, say, by the way, today I've discovered. But it's all about, it's all about. <laughs> so um, you, you hear things here first, even before we tell our spouses <laughs> things. We yeah, are, right. We are telling you, audience. That's so right. just know how privileged you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was a great talk, and uh, I'm glad that I went and. I should probably be doing it more often, considering yeah. that I live literally next door to them. So yeah, I think you um, think it was a bon time. Was was Chris French there? Yes, he was. Yes, All right, he was. We, we had a good catch up. I they have their the Greenwich Skeptics in the Pub. They, they have their own website as well, where they keep updating the events. And Chris, of course, is super organized. He's got every single event planned until next year. I want to say. Uh, uh, summer 2019 or something crazy. Normally, yes, he has this planned out for a long time. So, professor Chris French, professor in parapsychology, I believe. And uh, yeah, you, I think it's the same website you go to to sign up for newsletters and then mm. you, they send you reminders. And he also will send you reminders about lectures that you might be interested in as well. So, but yes, it's yep. great. Great. It was great. I'll tell you another thing about Chris French because since you can't make it to QED, uh, Jelena, he will uh, join us for the pub quiz. So ah, brilliant! Chris what a French, team. Claire Klingenberg, Andras, and me will be one of the teams on the. Um, amazing! Yep. All right, well, good luck. Good luck to you guys. I, I will be crossing my fingers because that's what skeptics do, and uh, hopefully you win. Well, some skeptics cross their fingers. Others bring in <laughs> professors to join their team. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right. I should say also before we we say goodbye. Please also, if you do like what we're doing, uh, you, you're most welcome to go to patreon.com slash the ESP. And for the ones who have done so already, we are eternally grateful. And there you can pledge to pay a dollar or two or three or even five, I believe some are doing, per episode that we release. And that really helps the show uh, going. So um, thank you very much for doing that. All right. Thank you, Pontus. Yes. So with that, uh, it's bye-bye for now. And uh, we will see you next time. And then we will have a full QED episode where everything... You will learn everything that happened at QED. Brilliant. I can't wait for this as well because I'm not going to be there. But I'll Uh, be be listening to that episode for sure. All right. Okay. All right. So bye-bye, everyone. Пока, пока. This has been your ESP experience. 
The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe One, two, one, two. Hello? Say something? Uh, Hello. Yeah. Here, here we go. One, two, three. That was only three. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> three in a finger. What? Whatever, Pontus, you know. Are, are you going to sit still or what, what's going on there? I am so thirsty. I was like very excited. Okay, for everybody, we are now recording this. Uh, Jelena is in the kitchen, walking over to the fridge. Anyway. Mm -hmm. This was a fun interview, by the way.